Stay standing now, grab your Bibles, go to Mark, Matthew, Mark, second book of the New Testament, chapter number 12 this evening. Mark chapter number 12, we'll begin reading in verse number 27, and we'll read down through verse number 33 responsively, Mark chapter number 12, I'll begin reading in verse number 27 out loud, and then you'll join me on verse 28, and we'll alternate down through verse number 33. Mark chapter number 12 beginning in verse number 27. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. And this is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, Thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Let's pray. Lord, love you, and we thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for not leaving us here to our own ideas our own philosophies and how we think we should live life. But, Lord, thank you for giving us the clear instructions from God's Word. Thank you for giving us a man of God who unashamedly preaches the Bible. May our minds be focused on the truth that's been prepared for us. May our hearts be tender. We'll yield ourselves to you as best as we know how. Fill our preacher now with the power of God. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to use them in a little while here. I need to set a foundation Then I'm going to get to the heart of the message. October 10th, 1987. Brother Scott, shut up. October 10th, 1987, I took a young lady out on our first date. Her name was Debbie Cox. God took a few days to smack me upside the head to realize I was supposed to ask her out. That's another long story. not going to go into it. But I finally gave in. Honestly, I wasn't looking to be dating. Uh, I was a junior in Bible college, just starting my junior year. I was taking about 21 hours of class. I was working a full-time job, driving an hour to the shop, driving an hour home from the shop. Uh, I was working 4 to 12s. I'd leave at 2.30, 2.35, get home at 1.15 or so in the morning and take a full load of college and get up and do it all over again. I was busy. Uh, honestly, wasn't thinking about anything, but uh, after having knocked her over literally in the hallway once, and then the next two or three days, her, her being there and us talking, we went out on our first date. And after that first date, God did something. For the first time in my life, my heart had been given to someone to another lady other than my mother. First time ever. Uh, 
I had met a lady that would change my heart forever. It would never be the same. I couldn't get her out of my mind. I'd go to work and I saw those baby blue eyes and say, I can't do that. I realized for the first time my life was not complete without her. I knew after our first date that that would be the lady I would marry. She didn't know that, but I did. But I didn't understand how could this happen to me. You have to understand, I was, I was busy. Again, I was working full time. I was taking a lot of class. I was doing well at college. I was uh, a Bible club leader. I had group of college students that I led as well as a ministry that I oversaw seeing many, many, many teenagers saved and lives changed. I was running a bus route. Matter of fact, Mrs. Lopez was one of my workers in my Bible club at the time. And uh, I was teaching teen Sunday school. I was uh, an assistant to an assistant pastor in the church basically while being a college student. I had a lot going. I thought everything was fine. And then I took this girl out on a date, and I didn't know it, but God was showing me my heart was incomplete without her. God knit our hearts together, and quickly, that day, I knew I would marry her. Ten and a half months later, we got engaged. And then on June 24th, 1989, we got married, and... I didn't give anybody else a chance. Nanny, nanny, nanny. Now, here's the thought I want you to get. The startling fact that I did not realize my heart was incomplete until I met her. It's likewise true that you don't know what you're missing with God until you've spent a bunch of time with him. Once you begin to see God and spend time with him and see God work, you don't realize what you've been missing. You see, your heart will not be complete without him. Loving God and seeing him work is amazing. You'll never know this morning this room was packed with people. The invitation time came and the altar was full and God was working in people's hearts today. And it wasn't God using me. God just worked. I'm a sinner like everybody else. God happened to say that I'm the one to lead and to say the words, but they're in his book. I just reveal them to you. There's nothing else that satisfies. Mark chapter 12, verse number 30 says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. By the way, the second one, the Bible says, is like unto it, which means it's parallel. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Those two go together. They're one command. The command is to love. Now, the shape of the heart, the symbol of the heart is formed by a husband and wife kissing. It's the shape from their chin to their chest and back. 
That's what makes the symbol of the heart. Many of you didn't know that, but that's where it came from. Your heart does not look like the shape that we draw all the time. Your heart looks about like your fist. It's about the same size, and if you make a fist like that, that's about what your heart looks like, except it's got a pointer end, so you have to do that. That's literally what your heart looks like, the muscle. The symbol that we use for it, though, is caused by two people in love that are married. Now, most of the problems occur in our homes due to the the fact that our heart's not in good shape. My question tonight is, what shapes your heart? (laughs) I hate bucket seats. I hate them with a passion. You say, why? Because my wife can't get close enough to me when I'm driving. By the way, you go back and do your research. When the bucket seats came out, the divorce rate started skying in America. Do the research. You then began putting distance where there wasn't supposed to be distance. Now we put car seats there. Now we put uh, everything but, <laughs> it's amazing, you got to keep people apart from each other, try to keep them pure until they get married, then I spend the rest of their marriage trying to keep them together. You see, uh, we, we, our heart is not in good shape. Scripturally, the Bible talks about our heart being in three shapes. First of all, wholehearted. Turn to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. I don't plan on screaming and hollering tonight, for those of you that like that. I'm going to kind of be quiet, and I want to talk to you pastorally for a moment. Psalm 138, look at verse number 1. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. And I want you to notice the term whole heart. Matthew chapter 12 verses 30 and verse 33 said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. That means every bit of what you have. Turn to Colossians, book of Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, look at verse number, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse number 22. Servants, obey in all things your master according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart. Wow. Wow. Fearing God. Singleness of heart. That means it's one unit working together. You see, love needs to be wholehearted. Can I tell you something? It's hard to love your neighbor if you're not loving God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you a deep truth even though you may not understand it being deep yet. These relationships this way are strained 
when this relationship is strained. If this relationship is right, these relationships will be okay. It doesn't mean everybody on that side is going to love you the way you want to be loved, but you can love this way very easily when this is right. Do you remember what happened in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3? Man, Adam, and Eve sinned. God showed up and they were hiding. They had sewn fig leaves together and made aprons to cover themselves. And God came down and he said, Adam, where art thou? He said, we're hiding, God, because we're naked. And he said, who told you you were? He said, did you disobey me? And if you remember Genesis chapter 3, this is the statement Adam makes. Well, God, the woman thou gavest me, she made me do it. Now, he was pointing fingers everywhere. She is who you gave me, and she's the one that made me do it. And it's your fault because you gave her to me. Guess whose fault it was? Adam's. There was a problem between the relationship between Adam and Eve because there was a problem with the relationship between God and Adam. The woman that thou gavest me, she made me do it. Sometimes we read the Bible so fast and don't think about what was really said. That means this. Sin causes a disturbance in all relationships. You can't live in sin and have a good relationship with God. I didn't say you stop sinning. But when, when you're sinning, you're not in a good relationship with God. Everybody doing okay? Now hang on here. When there's a whole heart, love is continually expressed. It doesn't mean it's perfect, but it's expressed. Statements like, I love you, come freely. Uh, sitting close in church, but you don't sit close in church and sit in three different rooms at home and not talk to one another. Uh, fellas, it's not a show so that you can say, look what I've got. If everything's good at home, you don't worry about what's in public. It'll be fine in public. Uh, I, I don't sit with my wife in church. She doesn't want me to. Uh, I've, I've sat on platforms for most of our marriage. I Honestly, it's a rare thing if we get to sit in church together. And when I... Especially when the kids were little, I hardly ever got to sit in church with my family. But when I did, they all wanted to sit with dad. But can I tell you something? We rotated them because nobody sat between mama and I because I was going to sit by my wife. Uh, that's just the way it was. I'd have two on one side, one on the other side of her, but they're not sitting between us. Say why? Because she comes first. They're leaving home. I'm not. She's not. 
I used to tell my daughter, she'd say, Daddy, I love you, and I'm never going to get married. I'd say, yeah, you are going to marry some tow-headed idiot. Well, he wasn't tow-headed, but he was an idiot. No, uh, <laughs> he's a good idiot, but uh, can I tell you something? I'd say, no, you're, you're going to marry somebody else, fall in love, marry somebody else, and leave me, but your mama's not. I remember the day she, Daddy, I'm in love. I said, told you you're going to leave me. But, but, but I remember the day she got married. Everybody left the office. We're getting ready to leave. I said, I told you you're going to leave me, but Mama's not. She said, Daddy. He said, yeah, it was cruel. Yeah, that was my day to be cruel. <laughs> getting her back, amen? Now, wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> I think husbands and wives ought to spend time together. <laughs> I think you ought to keep dating. You dated her to get her. Why don't you keep dating her after you got her? Yeah. Now, wait a minute. Sometimes dating means, in, in married life, just doing things together. A date doesn't mean necessarily that you have to go out and have food or go have activities. Sometimes that activities, uh, sometimes my wife and I's dates are making visits for church. Now, we try to go out once a week. I try to take her to out to eat once a week. Yeah, no, I, I I eat real food. I need better somewhere else for about the same price. Uh, I can't taste it, and I still won't go to McDonald's. Uh, it's pretty bad when you get heartburn and you can't taste. Amen. Can I tell you something? If there's ever a problem between her and I, the first place I look is this way. Because that means somewhere in here, I'm not right there. Beloved, 1 John 4, 7 and 8, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. And if I'm having trouble loving her, then it's something in me that's not right with God to be able to love her, even though I may disagree with her. Because I disagree doesn't mean I don't love. When the kids wanted candy for breakfast and lunch and dinner, it didn't mean I agreed with them, but I still loved them. Sometimes it wasn't what was best for them. Now, aren't you glad Jesus gave his whole heart for us? Turn your whole heart to the things of God. Can I tell you how to learn to give your heart to God, come to church all the time. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school. Be here, be a part of it. Take part in the things of God. Sing when it's time to sing. Uh, participate the way God says participate. Uh, please don't get mad at me. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that, uh, I, uh, I'm not telling you what to do, but I'll tell you this. God says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also when you start obeying God in your tithing and it's not because I have to have money or anything else you know I'm not that way I don't put pressure on anybody but I promise you this once you learn how to tithe and obey God in that you'll learn to love God and it'll 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 work together you show me your checkbook register I'll show you what you love guaranteed guaranteed and I'm not about money but may I say something? If you don't spend time with God, what good is it? Please don't get angry, angry at this statement. 
God doesn't mind being your fire insurance, but he'd like to be your homeowner's insurance too. Some people use God just to get a ticket out of hell, which I'm glad they did, but there's more to it than just getting a ticket out of hell. It's a matter of spending time with him and a matter of uh, being close with him. When's the last time you read the Bible on your own? When's the last time you took time and prayed? When's the last time that you spent time with your God? Now look at me, if you will. So God says that we're to love him with our whole heart. Mark 12 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Uh, the heart, that's your emotions. Your soul, that's your ability to communicate with each other. Your mind, that's your intellect. And your strength, that's your, your physical uh, body doing things for God. God says, I need you to love me with your heart, with your mind, with your soul, and with your strength. And when you do that, you'll fall in love with your God and you'll have a whole heart. Secondly, God talks about a broken heart. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20, look at verse number 41. You have here the story of David and Jonathan. King Saul has been seeking David to kill David so that David can't take the throne. And in 1 Samuel chapter 20, look at verse number uh, 41. And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of the place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. They kissed one another and wept one another until David exceeded. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace. For as much as we have both sworn in us the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. There's two friends that had broken hearts. They would never spend time together again. They were going to be forced apart. Matter of fact, Jonathan in just a matter of years would be killed in battle so that David could take the throne instead of Jonathan. A broken heart. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 2 talks about that Nehemiah's heart was broken for the city and it laid desolate. God said a broken and a contrite heart, who can bear it? There are people sitting in this room, you have a broken heart. You have children who have broken your heart. You have parents who have broken your heart. Maybe a spouse who has broken your heart. Friends who have broken your heart. Uh, people that you loved and respected that have broken your heart. Can I tell you something? Something that's broken often leaves a scar. And I've broken most all my fingers at some point in time, not from hitting the pulpit, but uh, just through different sports and different things that I've done. But did you know that even if it scars up, it can still be used? Do you know that a, a scar does not keep something from working? Brother Harry, how long has it been now? Five years? Six years? Almost seven years? Wow. 
you're getting old. Uh, about seven years ago, Brother Harry was having some heart issues, and he was down in D.C. My wife and I drove down. He was having a big doctor's appointment. They were going to do a test and see what was wrong. I prayed with him, and I knew something was bad wrong. It was the week before Thanksgiving, if I remember right. And uh, we were in the room. They were going to read the results. And he had five arteries that were almost totally blocked. Well, they did the wrong thing. They let me see the, the pictures. And he had two arteries on the top of his heart that were as big as my thumb. They were about ready to rupture. And they said, how about you go home and spend the holiday at home, and then after Thanksgiving's over, we'll come back and do surgery. The man couldn't walk across the room without getting out of breath, and he looked like ashy gray. And I did something I had never done in my entire ministry. At that time, probably 27 years, 26 years. And I, my wife was beside me. I think Kathy was beside us. And I I tapped her elbow and I said, Kathy, I don't have time to tell you this in private. Brother Harry, don't move. And he looked at me. I said, Doctor, we're not waiting till next week. I said, this man needs surgery today or tomorrow. (coughs) I said, Harry, you refuse to get out of this bed. I said, you go find out can they do surgery today or tomorrow. Because I'm telling you, you get out of this bed You're going to die and I'm going to preach a funeral. I have never done that. Ever. You're the only human being in the world I've done that to. Ever. He said, well, I don't know. I said, go find out. So he took his little chart and went off. And I looked at Harry and Kathy. I said, I'm sorry, but I know what I'm looking at. And Brother Harry, don't get out of this bed. Don't get out of this bed for anything. Whatever you got to do, lay in this bed. Because I don't plan on doing your funeral, and Kathy needs her husband, and the kids need a daddy. They finally came back, and I think they were going to do it in a day or two. And they got in there and ended up doing a five-way bypass. Matter of fact, they got him on bypass, and two of them, the two I was worried about, ruptured just after they got him on bypass. He would have died had he not been on bypass. The doctor told him, whoever told you not to go saved your life. That was God, not me. Brother Harry's got a scar down his chest. Don't take your shirt off and show everybody. <laughs> I don't want to throw up. I mean, uh, now wait a minute. Just because he has a scar doesn't mean his heart doesn't work. Why is it then that if somebody has a a scar, whether it be physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, that we want to hold it against them? Why is it that we don't thank God that they're still functioning? You see, it's wounded, but it can still function. And those who love the person who has the scar don't look at the scar and say, boy, I wish you didn't have that scar. I'll promise you, if Kathy sees that scar, she's thankful she can look at it because otherwise she'd have to go to a graveyard. I'd rather look at a scar than a tombstone. 
How about you? I'd rather have somebody who has an emotional scar that's still going than to lose that person. You see, why do we look at scars in people's lives, that brokenness? Let me, we, we used this statement a lot in the last two weeks in Sunday school. Past failures don't need to hinder future success. There's a, I don't know what you call it, a movement, so to speak, in churches today. If you're not perfect, God can't use you. That's a bunch of garbage. He's only got sinners to work with. Guess what? They're sinners too. I'm a sinner. You don't have to be perfect to come to church. You say, why? Because <laughs> nobody would be there. <laughs> kind of like the guy they found on a deserted island. They went there and he had three buildings. He said, this is my house. And they said, what's that? He said, that's my church. He said, well, they said, what's the other building? He said, oh, uh, that was the church I used to go to, but I got mad at the pastor. <laughs> he was the only guy on the island. Uh, must have been a Baptist or something. I don't know. Can I tell you something? Uh, why is it that we think because there's a, there's a mistake in somebody's past that God can't use them now? Aren't you glad God can use you? Uh, those who dwell or worry about all the, the past, can I tell you something? Listen to this statement. Forgive yourself and go on. Amen. Forgive yourself. Why do you hold bitterness against your own life? Some of you are holding bitterness against something that you don't even know why you're bitter. Let go of it. The broken heart of Jesus is what paid our, our sin debt. Maybe we ought to let his broken heart be enough and us not live with a broken heart. But even if it's broken and it's scarred, guess what? It's still pumping. Brother Harry, still going. It's been beaten hundreds of thousands of times since you had it worked on. And we're going to pray for a couple hundred thousand more beats, amen? Wait a minute. Then there's something called half-heartedness. Mark 12 said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy strength, all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength, not half. I've been married for 33, almost 34 years. Can I tell you something? 34 years ago, right before we got married, I thought I loved my wife with all my heart. I loved her with as much love as I knew how to love her, but after 34 years, I've had a lot of practice. I love her more now than I did 34 years ago. We've been through a lot of things together. Three kids. That's enough to try anybody's marriage. <laughs> uh, we've been through, uh, let's see, how many different churches have we been in that we've worked in? One, two, three, four. This, this is a, the, the fifth full-time church that we've worked in. We've lived in ten different houses. And I lived in one for almost 18 years. You do the math. We did a lot of moving. And we went from Indiana to California to South Carolina to Indiana to West Virginia. 
I mean, we didn't just move across town. When we moved, we moved, amen. I took my wife. We left Bible college to go work in Long Beach, California. Let me show you how stupid I was. How wonderful she is. We got the truck. She said, honey, where are we going to live? I said, I don't know. I got a uh, Penske truck pulling my car, and I don't even have a place to live when I get there. I pulled up in front of the church after getting lost in L.A. Matter of fact, I got lost in Compton. Got out. It's like being the only white chocolate chip in a dark chocolate chip factory. (laughs) Compton is known for its violence. They have a sign. When the devil comes to America, he comes to Compton first. That's on their welcome to Compton sign. Oh, no. It's true. It's a rough place. I got out, and the guy at the gas station says, what are you doing here? You're not in the right place. I said, I know. That's why I'm here. He said, you better get in that truck and keep driving. I said, I will when you tell me how to get to where I'm going. He said, where are you going? I told him, he said, get down here, go this far, turn this direction, and don't stop. I said, no problem. Finally got to the church, pulled up in front of the church, looked like the Beverly Hillbillies, you know. (laughs) I went in, found the pastor. I didn't know if we were going to stay at a hotel. I didn't know if I was going to sleep in the truck. I really didn't want to sleep in the truck because she hadn't been feeling well for two days of the three-day trip. And I'll be honest with you, I was tired of the inside of that truck. He said, uh, do you have a place to live? I said, how would I have a place to live? I haven't been here yet. He said, well, come with me. I think i got a place for you to rent. We jumped in his car. Went about five blocks away. Little Filipino lady, she had two thumbs on each hand. Got a little extra thumb growing off of each thumb. She could count to 12, amen? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not kidding. A little tiny, little 750 square foot, two bedroom house. You have to understand, this is in 1990. Shut up. (laughs) She said, oh, Good price, only $1,000 a month. I looked at the pastor. He said, we'll take it. I didn't even know what my salary was going to be. He said, go get your truck. We'll unload you. We went and got the truck, drove back up. We unloaded. I put my wife through a lot. We were out there during the Rodney King riots. They were burning buildings down seven blocks from our house. There was a gang unification meeting at Houghton Park, which is about four blocks away from our house. They got broken up with AK-47 fire. There was 32 police cruisers in the church parking lot, and I was working on a bus at the time. I heard the gunshots. Police cruisers going everywhere. I said, which way are you going? They told me. I said, I'm going this way. They said, why? I said, I live up there. He said, get home fast. 
I pulled in the driveway and I bang on the door because the doors are locked and she comes to the door with a shotgun pointed at me. I taught her what it was for. Don't shoot me. It's me. All right. I think it's the only time she ever held a gun in her life up to that point. It was rough. We went from Southern California to South Carolina. You talk about going from one mission field to another. We went from L.A. to Charleston, South Carolina, where it takes you five minutes to say good morning, y'all. Good night. I could, I could eat breakfast and lunch and dinner faster than they can even say the word breakfast. Oh, it was a culture shock. Believe me. Then we went back to the Indiana and Chicago area, and God moved us. Can I tell you something? We've been through a lot together. Don't you think after we've been through all the things we've been through and all the deaths we've been through and uh, the kids and the hospital stays and uh, the broken bones and the, yeah, he's the broken bone one, uh, the stitches and everything else, man, we've been through a lot. Don't you think going through a lot helps you love somebody? That's why going through a lot with your church family helps you love them more. You don't criticize them. You love them with your whole heart. I'll finish with this. In January of 2000, I was working for Brother Hiles. He had been in Mexico, Monterey, Mexico, preaching, came back on a Wednesday I was getting ready to walk out to the platform for Wednesday evening Bible study. He was right behind me. We were on the steps that led up to the top of the choir loft. You would walk down steps across the platform. We were coming in from like this corner of the building and down a huge platform, 7,000 seat auditorium. Had his hand on his knee like this. He said, hang on, fellas, just a second. I said, preacher, you okay? He said, yeah, just extra tired, too much travel. I knew something wasn't right. He went out and preached that night. Friday he worked, or Thursday he worked. Friday was in his office for prayer time. I had to stay back and ask him a question. He had me first. He said, Brother Craig, could you pick up my, could I ask you to do something? I said, anything. He said, I'm having trouble with my back. Could you pick my briefcase up for me? Yes, sir. I said, what else you need? He said, oh, I'll get it later. I said, no, sir, what do you need? I helped him with just a couple other little things. I asked him a question. We talked. I said, preacher, I love you. And I turned. I took about a step and a half. And he said, Greg. I turned around. He said, I love you too, son. I didn't know it would be the last time I'd ever talk to him. He had suffered a heart attack on Tuesday of that week while he was in Mexico. He preached Tuesday night after having had a heart attack. Stayed awake all night Tuesday night, got on an airplane, flew from Monterey, Mexico to Chicago, came back, preached at the college, preached at church that night, worked all day Thursday and started working Friday and the pain got so bad they finally got him to the doctor. And on February 6th, after open heart surgery, he died. Died of a broken heart. Let me ask you a question. What shapes your heart in?
What shape is your heart in? Is it whole? Is it half? Is it broken? Well, if it's broken, it can be fixed. God can fix it. If it's half-hearted, that's your fault. That means you need to fix it. I want you to have a whole heart. I want you to understand that love. God said, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And second is like unto it. How do you get that whole heart? Love thy neighbor as thyself. That means this. We love God by loving others. And the more you love others, the more you'll fall in love with God. The more you'll understand his love. Just a couple weeks ago, well, two months ago, my daughter and son-in-law had their first baby, little Hudson. Brought him home and we were with him. I was with Michael. He and I were working on something together and I said, son, let me tell you something. I said, being a daddy is going to give you a new perspective on God. You're going to understand God as a father in a whole different light. I was talking to my daughter after we had driven back home, and I said, Mindy, she was struggling with something. I said, now you're understanding what God feels as a parent. She said, Daddy, that's pretty scary. You're right. I said, oh, it's time to grow up. Trust me. And it wasn't something that she was immature because of choice. It's just that's how life is. You really understand as a God a little better as a parent and as a father when you've been a father or a mama. But did you know loving other people, loving children in Sunday school, you love them as a child? Love them as your own. That's why at a church we call each other brother and sister. You say, why? Because it's the family of God. And as we learn to love each other, we're learning to love God more because both those commandments go together. Let me ask you a question. How's your heart? What shapes it in? Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm done. What shape is your heart in? Well, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ... I hate to tell you this, but your heart is in desperate need of open heart surgery. You need the master's touch for eternal life. Who'd say, preacher, if I died today, I am 100% sure. I know for sure I've trusted Christ as my Savior. Would you raise your hand? God bless you. You can put your hands down. Who'd say, preacher, if I died today, and I won't embarrass you, I won't call your name. I would never do that. But you'd say, preacher, if I died today, I don't know for sure I'd go to heaven. But I'd like to know that. Would you raise your hand? All right. Who'd say, preacher, somewhere in that sermon, something I needed tonight. Would you raise your hand? Well, my soul, dozens and dozens of hands. You may put them down. In a moment, the piano begin to play. When the piano begins to play. We'll stand to our feet. When we stand to our feet, if God's been touching your heart about something, how about you come kneel at an old-fashioned altar and tell God about it? Maybe you need to get right with somebody. Maybe you need to pray with somebody.